I believe the words that the Lord God has given us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12 are monumental in our lives as believers. It is the greatest privilege that we have. And I think after today, you're going to see how monumental, I've used that word way too much already, haven't I? But how great of an offering the Lord has given to those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ and why why what he did by raising himself from the dead, how he has paid the debt for our death and given us life. It's unbelievable. Now, would you please turn with me in your Bibles? I want you to... um, I want you to please, if you wouldn't mind, giving me or actually giving the Lord your full attention for the next half hour. I'm going to try with all of my heart to preach this message as I st- studied it. There are some, some words that you're going to find that are, are very critical to what we believe. You're going to find out why it is that Jesus Christ is so utterly important to God the Father as well as God the Holy Spirit. We, we said that, that Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3 to verse 14, was one sentence, one thought divided into three groupings. We said that verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 shows God the Father and what He did for us in the past. He chose us, the Bible says, before the foundations of this, this earth which He has made. And there was a word or two in there that we neglected to look at closely last week because of time. I'm going to take a look at it today. He has chosen us to be, it says in verse 3, is it? Or 4. No, verse 4, I think. He has chosen us to be, let me look to make positive. Yes, verse 4. He has chosen us to be holy and blameless. Now that took place in the past. In the present is when Jesus Christ come upon the scene. When he allowed himself, after living a a sinless life for 30 some years, he, he allowed himself to go to the cross. He allowed them to beat him beyond recognition. And he went to the cross and he allowed them to nail him to the cross. And he shed his blood. The Bible says he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. That takes place in the present. The reason that you and I are so secure in who we are in Christ right now is what He did on the cross some 2,000 years ago, but it takes care of us in the present form. And so we see what God the Son has done for us now. Next week, we'll look at verses 13 and 14, and we're going to see what God the Holy Spirit has done for us in our future. How He will securely make sure that He will take us to be in that place called heaven itself. As we saw last week, let's kind of review. Before the foundations of this earth, you and I were chosen by God. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Let's read them again because they're worth reading again. It says in verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him. In other words, God the Father chose us in His Son before the foundation of this world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, it says, verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to Himself. 
according to the kind intention of His will. Verse 6 tells us, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He, amazing words, freely bestowed on us in the, the Beloved, in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, because of time last week, we, we did not take a look at what we have been declared by God because of who we are in Christ Jesus. It states in verse 4 that we ought to be holy and blameless in and before Him. Now, I'm sure. <laughs> Think about it. Who amongst us would raise our hands and say, but holy and blameless, that's me. I, I don't think that, that, practically speaking, we might even make that statement. But, but here's what we do have. Because of the grace of an almighty God, we have what is called the good news. Actually, great news. Turn with me, if you want to, quickly to 1 Peter. We're going to take a look at two verses. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1 leads us into chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ gave of His life, as, as Anthony and Genevieve so beautifully sung, that He gave of Himself, He died for us, so that we might have life. It says in 1 Peter 1, 19, with Precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Because of that precious blood that was shed upon the cross for all mankind, that blood is critical as we're going to see in a moment. Because of that blood, look at chapter 2. No, not chapter 2. Second Peter, the second letter from Peter, look at first chapter, look at verse 1. Because of what Christ did for you and me, He has allowed us to receive God's nature. Think about that. You and I have the nature of God Almighty flowing through our veins because of Jesus Christ. Look, Second Peter 1, 4, For by these... He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, by these magnificent and precious promises, you and I may become partakers of the divine nature. Think about it. You and I have become partakers of God's divine nature, we've escaped, it goes on to say in verse 4, the corruption that is in the world by lust. Our Lord shed His blood for you and me. His blood was unblemished. His blood was spotless. He was holy and blameless. Therefore, because we now have His divine nature living within us, we who are unworthy... We who are unworthy have been declared worthy. Imagine, you and me, the unrighteous, have been declared by God holy and blameless before Him. Holy and blameless before God. Go back to Ephesians, please, and, but I want you to look at chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the very sanctity that God has given us in marriage. And we're going to study that when we come to that place in Scripture. But, but this place, even though it talks about the sanctity of marriage and what a husband ought to be like with his and to his wife, it is also mentioned in here what Jesus Christ has given to you and me because of this holy and righteous life that he lived. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 starts off by telling us, Husbands, love your wives. Here's how. Just as Christ also loved the church, that's us. The church isn't a building. The church is people. It's you and me, those who have trusted and believed and given our faith to Jesus Christ. Look, he says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, her being the church, that he might sanctify her, her being the church, having cleansed her, that's the church, by the washing of water with the word. This is what cleanses you and me. This is it. The word of God is what what gives us the, the power, the cleansing power to walk with God. It gives us the ability to confess our sins and to live righteously with God. So it says, washing of the water with the word, that, now here's the key, verse 27, that he, Christ, might present to himself the church in all of her glory. Watch, having no spot, nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Therefore, back in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verse 4, We are, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are without spot or wrinkle. We are holy and blameless before God. Well, let's let's get real. Obviously, Paul is not talking about our practice here on earth. Because we still have a sin nature. We still are sinners saved by the grace of God. There is no difference between us and the world as far as sin is concerned. We are all capable of sinning, believers and non-believers. The difference between us and non-believers is we have given our sin to our Lord. We have placed it upon Him at the cross, and we have allowed His blood to sanctify, set us apart to cleanse us so that we would be forgiven for all of our sins. Yes, sins in the past, sins in the present, and sins that we might do in the future. They have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are spotless. You are without wrinkle. You are holy and blameless before God. Not in your practice, but in your position. You see, many people do not understand the difference between our practice and our position. Our position before God is holy and blameless. When He looks down from heaven and He looks at you, He doesn't see you because He can't look at sin. He sees His what? He sees whom? He sees His Son who is spotless, who is without wrinkle, who is holy and blameless. And when He sees us, He sees Jesus Christ in our position in Him, our final position not our practice that's why first john 1 9 is critical to you and me if we confess our sins that's to christians he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what all unrighteousness 
And so there is a difference in this whole attitude as who we are concerning our practice as believers and our position as believers. And you and I need to understand the difference to understand the Word of God when it tells us sometimes you're holy and blameless. And you read that and you say, maybe my aunt, she, she doesn't do many things wrong. As a matter of fact, she's almost comatose, so she can't do much wrong. So I think my aunt's okay, but not me. No, no, in your position, you are holy and blameless before God. What God wants us to do in the teaching that we're going to try to receive from the book of Ephesians is to line up our practice with our position. To become a great, and I know more about this than perhaps anything else, sadly, to become a great athlete takes time, patience, and a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. You do not become a great athlete just because you want to be. It takes time. It takes work. And what I want you and me to understand as a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not become this super saint just because you want to be. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes practicing what you believe It's allowing your practice to come in line with your position more and more day by day. And so, as verse 6 of chapter 1 of Ephesians states, His grace, His unmerited favor, which He has freely bestowed upon you and me in the Beloved, in His Son, moves us now to verse 7 to move away from the past what we have been given by God into the present, what we have now possessed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has given us His redemptive, key word to this all, knowing what the word redemption means, He has given us His redemptive grace through His blood. In the past, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, God the Father chose you and me to be holy and blameless in our position. Well, today, in the present, verses 7 through 12, Jesus Christ has set you and me free through His blood, giving us the forgiveness of our sin so that we might stand before God spotless, without wrinkle, holy, and blameless, without the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I are hopelessly lost. Hopelessly lost. The first message I ever gave when I was asked to be a pastor way back when I was at Yorba Linda, 1986. Never forget it. First message I gave... They weren't used so much to bringing the Bibles to church. And I forewarned them, please, everybody, bring your Bible. I don't care if you got this big Bible, you sit on a chair, bring it. Bring your Bible. I wanted everybody to have their Bible so they could look at the Word of God on their own. And the first message I gave was the blood of Jesus Christ. These people looked at me like saying, oh my gosh, what a mistake we made. You mean you're going to be preaching on stuff like this, the blood of Christ? The reason I preached on the blood of Christ before I started anything else off in that church, and the same thing here, is I want people to understand who we are because of who Jesus Christ is. 
and that the blood of Jesus Christ is everything to you and me. Without it, without it, we are hopelessly lost. And so for those of you that are visiting and thinking, well, I don't know if I want this thing called Christianity or not. Let me tell you what comes with Christianity. What comes with Christianity is Jesus Christ. And what comes with Christianity is the blood that he shed on the cross. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? There's no forgiveness, folks. I'm going to take a look at that in Hebrews 9.22 in a moment. Without the shedding of blood, you cannot have, you cannot receive forgiveness. You are hopelessly lost. And so God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are assured on this one thing. You've got to come to know the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, because you've got to bring with you the blood of Christ. Read with me, please, Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 12. In verses 9 and 10, he talks about the mystery. It's talking about this thing called the church. That is what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. Paul gave this, remember, circular letter. This was not a letter. I'm I'm sorry, I I told you we're going to read, and I am in a moment. Paul gave us this circular letter, this letter that was not to go to just one church because it was way too important. It was to go to all the churches so that all the churches would know what Christianity looks like and what we look like as believers in Jesus Christ so that we might tell our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones the importance of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed for us. So it says... Verse 7, in Him, now we're talking about Jesus Christ in the present. We have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. That's talking about the church. According to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. A lot in there. Boy, is there a lot in there. Basically, it's talking about the blood of Christ and about the essence of the church. And how you and I have been redeemed, keyword, by His blood. We're going to see what that word means in a moment. You're going to see how, how much you have because of the redemption that you have through the blood of Christ. Let's pray first. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from Your law. The Bibles that we hold in our laps. Father, speak to us. Move me aside. Father, hide the one that gives the message behind the wonders of your words. Let us see what you say, not what some speaker might say, but, Father, what you say from your word that might be relevant to us today as we live here on this earth, as we we walk through this life that you have given us on this planet, process, Father, of moving step by step closer and closer to live with you as we walk with you on this earth. 
Father, allow our practice to line up with our position, holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle. Let us be conformed, in other words, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Verse 7, the key word, redemption, is key to where we now stand in the present. The past, we have been chosen by God long ago, before the foundation of this world. Now today, in the present, we have been redeemed. In legal terms, the word redemption means to be acquitted. In in other words, having the charges dropped. Finding a person not guilty. Turn to the left. Look at Romans chapter 5 just for a moment. It's, it's really a wonderful, wonderful place. Hold your place here in, in Ephesians. You're going to go past 2nd and 1st Corinthians and then you'll find Romans. Look at Romans chapter 5. Again, the writer of the book of Romans is the same writer who wrote Ephesians. It's Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament as you and I well know. And these words that he has penned here in Romans chapter 5 are amazing. They are in and of themselves a, a, a message that you and I could give if we could, if we could understand the depth of it all for years and years and years. But Paul writes these words, starting with verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. He says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. When we were helpless, there was nothing that we could do as far as getting to be with God We were utterly helpless at the right, perfect time. God sent His Son to this earth to die for you and me. Namely, we are called the ungodly. Verse 7, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. I want to read that once more, please. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, you and I shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, in other words, ungodly, had nothing to do with God, we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, verse 11 tells us, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What does that mean, this reconciliation? Turn back, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. And we note in verses 7 and 8, in the present time, Jesus Christ has given us redemption. Verse 7, in Him, you and I have redemption through, through what? Well, of course, through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses. In other words, our sin, according to the riches of His grace, which He, verse 8, note, lavish. He didn't just give us His grace. He lavished His grace upon us. What a great word. We are redeemed. In other words, acquitted. We are found not guilty. We are forgiven of our sin. 
And all of this possible through the blood of Jesus Christ, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. His grace. God's undeserved love and goodness is given to all of us who believe in His Son. Unmerited kindness has been given to you and me because of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood that He shed for you and me. As verse 7 tells us, this all happens through the blood of Christ. This redemption of our sins. Hebrews 9.22 You don't need to look it up. I know you know it already because we said a little while ago. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus Christ had to live. He had to die. And He had to shed His blood. That was God's plan. I don't think any of us, maybe not, maybe so, would have thought of that plan, but that was God's plan for the redemption of this world. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the coming Messiah, that He would set them free from their sin, and He would make them a part of His forever family. They looked forward to the Messiah. You and I today... We look backwards. We look backwards at the Messiah who came, lived His life sinless for you and me, went to the cross, shed His blood, died for us so that we would have the forgiveness of sin. Old Testament saints, they looked forward. They didn't understand the cross like you and I do, but they come to the foot of the cross. And New Testament saints, you and me, we look backwards at the cross. We understand the principle of what had to be done. And we all meet At the foot of the cross. Old Testament and New Testament saints all come to God through faith in the coming Messiah. And so, according to the law, one might almost say all things are cleansed with blood. But without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22 tells us there is absolutely no forgiveness. Simply put, folks, the blood of Jesus Christ is your and my payment. It's our redemption. It enables us to come before God, get this now, without spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless in our position before God. What Paul is trying to do to the church at Ephesus and the other churches that is going to read his letter as well as you and me is he's going to try and bring our practice as believers into and close to our position as believers. And to do that, he has chosen a marvelous word called redemption. I was going to have you look at Hebrews. I I still will. We still have 15 minutes. I want to have you look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 to see the, the amazing facts of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 11, When Jesus Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. In other words, there were tabernacles that were before that Israel had. When Jesus Christ came, He, he did not come through that tabernacle. He came through the tabernacle that was made without hands. He came through His body. That's what it says. Look, verse 12, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through, note, His own blood. 
He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That is some key verse. Once and for all, Jesus Christ came, gave His blood, obtaining for all of us who would believe eternal redemption. Verse 13 tells us, If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 14, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If you and I were on trial, our redemption, our acquittal, would come only through the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed for all mankind. But you and I have to receive by faith what He has done for the forgiveness of our sin. It's all centered around this one word, redemption. In the New Testament... There are three times that this word redemption is used that is critical for you and me to understand. First one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. It is the word A-G in the Greek, the word A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. It means to buy at the marketplace, to redeem, to purchase. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You... We have been bought with a price. That means we have been redeemed. Payment has been made for us. Therefore, since you and I have been redeemed, bought with a price, glorify God in your bodies. Let me tell you what this word redeem here means, bought with a price. Again, it's the Greek word A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. It uh, implies... You or I have been bought. And the person who purchased us can do with us anything they wish. Can keep us or they can trade us away. Their discretion. They bought us with a price. Second word for redemption is in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. It is a different Greek word, though, for the word redemption. It is the Greek word E-X-A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. It means that you go to the marketplace and you see this thing for sale, whatever it is, you purchase it. But just like the other person in 1 Corinthians 6.20, but this time you purchase with the sole purpose of keeping it for yourself, never ever to resell it, never ever to give it away. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us. He bought us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. With the first word, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought. I was bought. They were A person was purchased. And the one who purchased us could do with us anything they wished. Keep us, give us away, or resell us. In Galatians 
trying to say it, E-X-A-G-O-R-A-Z-O, same thing, the person goes to this marketplace, buys us, but buys us for one purpose only, and that is to keep us for himself, never ever to resell us. He's taken us off the marketplace. He has become a curse for us. Well now, we come to the third use of this word redeemed, and it is the word that is used in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. And watch the difference from this word from the other two. The third meaning of the word redeem is the Greek word A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S. Three different Greek words for the same word that we use, redeemed. But listen to the meaning of this word. This word, given in verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It means, person goes to the marketplace, buys you and me, with the sole purpose of setting us free. He won't keep us. He won't resell us. He has set us free. First meaning of redeemed, A-G-O-R-A-Z-Z-O, you're bought. The owner can do anything he wants with you, keep you or sell you. Second word for redeemed, E-X-A-G-O-R-A-Z-O, you bought. But the person who buys you has bought you for one reason only, and that is to be your owner, to keep you and never resell you. But the third reason, the third meaning of redemption is the word A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S. It means that you and I have been bought so that the person who bought us can completely set us free. Jesus Christ came to purchase your soul, which is under bondage to sin, only to set you and me free from our slavery or bondage to sin. John chapter 8, verse 36 comes to mind. You're going to know it the moment I start it. Jesus says, if, or the writer John says, if therefore the Son has, shall make you free, you what? You shall be what? Free indeed. I've never thought about that verse in, this, in that fashion before. If the Son is going to make you free, redeem you, you shall be free indeed. You know what comes to mind? I bet you never thought about this like in this fashion before. Look with me at John. We're going to close. Look with me at John chapter 8. Very familiar story. Jesus Christ not only has redeemed you and me from the bondage of sin, He has bought you. He bought you with a price. His price was His blood only to set you free. In John chapter 8, from verses 1 to 11, we find the, the scribes and the Pharisees caught this woman in adultery. Do you remember the story? Interestingly, they bring her, 
Where's the guy? I mean, how, she could have run away a lot easier than the guy. Where's the guy? They bring this woman. The only reason they bring her is to try to entrap Jesus Christ. They used her. So they bring her to him, and they say to the Lord, This woman has been caught in adultery. What should we do? What did he tell him to do? Oh, he says, Okay, good deal. All of you, any of you who are without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. Then he starts to write on the ground. Remember? Doesn't even look at him. See who's going to pick up that first stone. He doesn't even look. He starts to write in the ground. Nobody knows what he writes. I feel like I have an idea. I think he writes down like the first guy that was thinking about picking up a stone. His name may be Augustus. He would have read Augustus fooled around in Capernaum with Esther. Remember? I do. That's what I think he did. And Augustus goes, oh, I'm a, I, 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 I think i got to go home. And he leaves and they start to leave. Remember? Remember? When he got through writing, not looking, he stood up and he looked around and he said, um, Woman, she didn't leave. Where are they? He said, didn't anyone condemn? <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a very touching story to me. Did anyone, nobody condemn you? What did she say? No one, Lord. What did he say to her after that? Neither do I. Go your way. He what? He set her free. And what? Sin? Stop it. Stop sleeping around for crying out loud. Don't sin anymore. He set her free. He set her free. He's done the same thing to you and me. He looks at us and he says, Look, there is now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. I died for you. Go. Stop sinning for crying out loud. The problem with us today in our practice as believers is we've been released by God, but we don't realize it. We don't realize all that we have in our position. We don't realize that we're without spot. We're without wrinkle. We're holy. We're blameless. Let's start making our lifestyle, our practice, live up to our position. You can do it. You can do it. We can do it. Christ has set you free from the very agony and the very slavery to sin. 
He has completely forgiven you and me. In the present, Jesus Christ has redeemed us to such a degree that He has set us free. Problem is, is that most of us have not set our own selves free. I beg of you, as I beg of myself, let's stop living under this whole idea of sin that we're caught. We're not caught. We're not. We allow ourselves to be caught. We're free. We're absolutely free from sin. How do you do this? I don't know. I don't know, really. I, I have a couple of tricks. I set up my watch that beeps every hour. I'm finding out it should beep every minute. It beeps every hour to remind me that I ought not to sin. I am shocked how far I get astray in one simple hour. Another thing I do is I pretend. When I think about doing something, I think, you know... Christ is coming back tonight. I don't think He'd want to see me doing this and it helps me not do it. I pretend that He's coming back tonight. And how do I want to be living when He comes back? What do I want to be doing? I'd like to be living for Him at that moment. Those are a couple of things I try to do. Read the Bible hang around with people of like mind, try to engross myself in the things of God rather than the things of this world. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you can do it. You've been set free. Live like it. Now, we've got about two minutes or three, and I thought that maybe I'm going to close in prayer. And... Um, I'm going to tell you I love you with all my heart, which I do. It's so good to be back. So good to be back. Um, I want to tell you how much I love you. I'm going to close in prayer and maybe play some background music. And you can leave. The moment I close in prayer, you know, you can leave. If, if It's time for you to leave. If you want to sit here for a while, you want to kind of contemplate the cross, you want to kind of contemplate who you are in Christ, not your practice, but your position and try to line up your practice with your position, holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. Maybe you'll want to just be alone for a moment and pray to God. Maybe to ask Him to forgive you. Maybe some of you here don't know Jesus Christ. Listen, there's no trick to coming to Christ. Nobody's going to try to force you forward. It's, it's, it's just a heart reaction to what God has done within you. Give Him your heart. And so, if you want to sit here for a few minutes, as I say, Wayne will lower the lights and we'll open the back door so you'll find your way out. And um, you can go as soon as you wish. Or you can stay here for a while if you wish and pray. Whatever suits you. Father, the joy of joys is to be able to read your words and to try to contemplate what really has been said. Take all the hoopla of religion away.
and break down what has really been taught by you through the apostles to the church. That is that we have been redeemed. Yeah, we've been bought, but not to be given away. We have been bought, not even to keep. You bought us, dear Father. You redeemed us, dear Father, so as to set us free from this sin that so easily entangles us. Let us, Father God, help our practice line up with who we truly are in Christ. Holy and blameless people because we have taken upon ourselves your divine nature with all the power that we'll ever need to accomplish this. All we need is the desire to do so. Father, I love these people uh, more than I can ever say. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this church at this time. It is uh, the joy of my life. Father, bless us wherever you might take us today. Bless us all, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.